Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm Alan Seals. This podcast is part of the Broadway Podcast Network, and this episode is with the one and only Daniel J. Watts, who just opened as Ike Turner in Tina Turner the Musical at the Lundfontein Theater. And this, oh man, I, I mean, I start out every episode by saying, oh, it's a great episode, it's a great guest, and et cetera, et cetera, right? Your standard stuff. But uh, this one, he was just so honest and so open with with his mental health. And he, he was like, I just came from therapy. Let's talk about it. And this guy was just a genuinely nice person. You could tell it by just looking into his eyes that he genuinely cares for who, who he talks to. And the episode covered so many things. Of course, it covered his, you know, his beginnings. Of course, where we grew up near each other in North Carolina. Here's another North Carolinian coming to Broadway. But my gosh, I mean, the way he was talking about his childhood, the way he loves his mom and his grandma. He he just grew up outside of Charlotte, um, an only child to a single mom. Dad wasn't in the picture, and just made it to Broadway without really knowing anything about Broadway. And it was an amazing. It's an amazing story, and he was just using. Broadway and theater and and performing as a way of expression because like you know a, a troubled kid he just needed that outlet so we talk about that and this is his ninth role on Broadway but his first principal role which was just amazing to me we we covered that I mean because this guy is is great so he he calls himself a whistleblower because he doesn't have time for not genuine people. He'll just be like, nope, that's not real. Moving on. And he calls himself a love terrorist. He just says there's too much hate in the world. He's just genuinely a super nice guy to know. So before we get into this, as always, visit me at ttp.fm. Please show your support for the podcast. Help us keep going. It's ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And now please enjoy this episode with Daniel J. Watts. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Here you go. One, two, three. Four. 
My guest today made his Broadway debut in The Color Purple in 2006, and he has also been in shows such as The Little Mermaid, In the Heights, Ghost the Musical, Motown the Musical, After Midnight, and Hamilton. His TV credits include Smash, Boardwalk Empire, Person of Interest, The Good Wife, Blue Bloods, Blind Spot, The Deuce, and of course, the role of Felony on The Last OG. Now starring as Ike Turner in Tina, the Tina Turner musical, which just opened on Broadway at the Lundfontein Theater, Daniel J. Watts. That's me. Welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with the standard stuff on this podcast where I always like to start, which is like, tell me about your childhood. Where'd you grow up? Dig it. Um, Grew up in the Carolinas, I say. Yeah. Back and, back and forth between North and South Carolina. Um, Predominantly Monroe Indian Trail, North Carolina. That's what I call home. That's where, where my mama is. <laughs> do you know Do you know Wilkesboro? North Wilkesboro? Yeah. That's where I'm from. Get out of here. Yeah, man. Come on. Is there, where'd you go to high school? Uh, Wilk Central. Yeah, you did. Yeah. I went to Sun Valley. Do you That's know Sun right. Valley? That's right. Wow. Yeah, dude. There are so many actors that I have talked to on this podcast that have come out of North Carolina. Come on. It's like with the new basketball players. I guess. Something I don't like know. That. Raleigh, Raleigh Durham produces a lot of people. Yep. And then like, yeah, it's Wilkesboro. It's crazy. Because like blue and white. Yeah, or green and gold. Green and gold. Wait, Blue and white was North Central or North High. Ah, got it. There okay. was there was North East West, which was red and Central. There was no it's South. So many of those. <laughs> North East, <laughs> Northwest Cabarrus, North Central Cabarrus, Central Northwest South Central. Yeah, Lenore. Northwest Central South. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, anyway, back in Monroe. Yes. Where'd you start? How'd you get started performing? Oh man, I was. It was kind of my mom's idea, really. I. I was hell hell bent on being a basketball player. Just because really? I just I was gonna be the next Muggsy Bogues. I had it all planned out. Um basketball coaches oh. had otherwise. <laughs> They're like, nah, you're not gonna be that. Um and I was in eighth grade and my mom suggested I audition for a play in Charlotte. Um and I was like, eh, okay, sure, whatever. And I auditioned and I caught the bug immediately. Like it was, it felt like competition also. Like I noticed there were some other kids, my, I was 13, other kids my age are a little older than me. And it just felt like, uh, I want to try to get this over them. But I didn't realize that doing this theater thing was actually like going to be out, and it was going to turn out to be an outlet for me in a lot of ways. What kind of outlet was, I mean, where did, why did you need an outlet? Um, only child. Um, single parent home, you know, so the usual daddy issues, and <laughs> daddy issues. Well, my therapy question came up is later it's in my come, list. It's coming. We'll, we'll, we dive right in. I just came for therapy today. So, oh, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah. 10 a.m. Um, and um, also, you know, just being an only child, having a lot of energy, um, you know, and really playing with myself. So, you know, all the time that it was interesting to be. I was always, I always worked well with others. So being in a setting where other people were doing the things that I was always doing by myself. Are we going to pretend right now? Cool. <laughs> I'm did, with that. Did you pretend a lot? Are you were putting oh, on yeah. like shows oh, and was, for Not necessarily shows, but I was all, you know, fighting ninjas and cowboys and, you know, playing with the poker in the fireplace or like, you know, turning a box into yeah. a fort or uh, anything, you know. Yeah. Just by, I was by myself. So just wow, yeah. my imagination was super vivid. What what was the show you auditioned for? Do you remember? It was called The Second City. It was about it was a made up about made up all plays are made up, but it was a made up. <laughs> <laughs> it was an original play about uh, this little town inside of Charlotte that was called Brooklyn because so many people have migrated from Brooklyn, New York, to this particular spot in Charlotte. So it was more of a like you know uh, historical facts, and then this person you know it would it would follow that. So I was like boy one. 
um, who doubled as a kid named Johnny, who lost his goat. <laughs> um, it's like I'm remembering it now because uh, you bring your goat from Brooklyn, I guess, to, to Charlotte. Yeah, to Charlotte, and I, it's, I forget a lot of it, but it was like it was just one of those moments where it was it was a sense of community that I'd never had before. You know, I played sports, um, but there was this was different. Like I played soccer, I played basketball, I played baseball, but this was different for some reason. Um, and I was still going to play sports even further, but. Something about this shared experience, us figuring this thing out together, was was interesting to me, and I was just I was in. So eighth grade then was your the first thing you did, but then did you continue to audition, or or like were you always straddling the line between that and sports? I was always straddling that between that and sports, but also dance. Dance kind of came oh, yeah. snuck in. When fifteen, I started tap dancing because I ended up I wanted to tap dance when I was six because Savion Glover was tap dancing. Oh yeah. Sesame Street, and I was a huge Sammy Davis Jr. fan for, I don't even really know why, but, and I wanted to tab, and my mom didn't think I would stick with it, and then finally I ended up in Gypsy, and I had to learn how to tap for Gypsy. Mm-hmm. So because of that, I ended up in tap class, and then that just took over, dance So you, took got, over. you got cast with the assumption that they that you would learn, teach yourself how to tap? Yeah, it was community theater, so <laughs> everyone was kind of trash at tap dance anyway, <laughs> except like two people. Um so yeah, so under this, I'm just like, oh, you'll figure it out. You know, I could dance well enough. So they were just like, just move your feet around. But I kind of picked it up yeah. pretty easily. And it, Okay, so at that point then, so you're going to high school and obviously you're still doing it, but um, you said you wanted to be the next Muggsy Bogues. Were were you trying to actively go to, to college, like continue your education in, in sports or in something else or in theater or what? By then, I knew I wanted to do theater. Like by 15, I was dancing and I had done, let's see, for one hand probably like five plays or musicals by then. So I was like, oh, this looks like something I can do. I feel like I see people success, uh, succeed in this field <laughs> of arts and entertainment. So sure, I'll do that. Like basketball, I I hadn't been on the basketball team since eighth grade. Um, I actually started wrestling and that became my, my actual, my, uh, it was another outlet, so to speak. Um, but it was wrestling and dance and what little bit of acting I was doing in high school. And I was like, okay, right. I'll do this. And did you did you um, go to school for this at all after high school? Yeah, I went to Elon, Elon yeah. University. Oh, of course, Elon, yeah. yeah. one of those Elon kids. And um, and it just, I knew nothing. I knew nothing when I got to Elon. I didn't. I knew the movie musicals I had seen on, on TV mm-hmm. and the three Jesus Christ Superstar and Joseph and <laughs> Big River and Gypsy that I had done myself. That's mm-hmm. all I knew. So it was a whole new world of like, oh, there's craft building and oh breaking down of songs and you know i learned all the techniques and like different styles of acting like i was i was a sponge that's that's fun i i grew up watching my parents weren't um weren't theater people directly but they they were performing people and they just liked the arts and supported it so like i grew up watching vhs tapes of music man and singing in the rain and Mm -hmm. west side story and then that kind of led that was like my gateway into finding more and listening to soundtracks with other people from other things. So it's 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 hard for me to to imagine going to a performing arts school or in a performing arts program and not knowing all that stuff. But I can see how I can see how that would have happened. I knew not, like I like even like recordings. Like I didn't know anything about. Like I watched the Tonys, but that was about it. Like I hadn't seen it. I'd seen by college. I had seen Footloose and what I see. That's the only show I'd seen on Broadway. Footloose was the first show I saw, I saw when I was 18. 
And then that was it. I'd seen the tour of Miss Saigon. And, and I was confused. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> you, you ever go to the Raleigh Memorial Auditorium, see shows there? No, no. I was in Charlotte. I was in the, oh, oh that, to, you were yeah, down the other side. Yeah, yeah. So I would go to um, the Blumenthal mm-hmm. Performing Arts Center. I'm trying to think. Like Mary Poppins was a huge thing for me. Like I was a huge Dick Van Dyke fan. So Mary Poppins, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, like those films. Yeah. The Disney stuff, you know, I was like, I had a familiarity, but like, Sunday in the park with George. What? Like, what is that? You know, um, not the not the big commercial success. Assassin. You know, I didn't know anything about Sondheim. Like, I remember when Rent came out and everybody was losing their minds, and I was like, "What's the big deal?" You know, I just I didn't get it. I yeah, didn't, I I didn't have that attachment to it. It was oh, that was a game changer for me. It was oh, Rent. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I I the you know you get your traditional sort of you know big dance kick line fifteen minute ballet breaks you know the traditional sort of musical yeah. theater and and then there have been a couple things like hamilton being one of them they've just come in and being like screw it we're just doing our own thing yeah. we're not going to play to anything sure and rent rent was one of those things for for me it stood out um and a wicked kind of being another um some of these things that have just been running forever in completely saying screw it i'm changing the game i'm going to do i'm going to be my own pattern. I'm going to be my own type of story, yep. my own type of music and integrate pop culture, pop music really into, into a genre that traditionally has not seen that. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I was doing, I was doing gypsy at the time. Yeah. Gypsy. Yeah. No, either. Hmm. Might've been in anything goes. I think it was gypsy. I was doing gypsy. And I remember every, all the hype and it was coming out in the Tonys. And I was like, I don't, I simply don't understand yeah. What you're doing. What do you mean you're listening to the cast album? What does that mean? What like is I, a cast I, I album? What is a cast album? Wow. I didn't get it. Lion, was that Lion King? Was that the same year? No. Lion, they were like close. Lion King just had, no, Wicked just had 16 years, 16 anniversary like last week. Right. Lion King is tw- 22? Maybe. Yeah. I feel like they were very, they were very close. Cause like, have you listened to Lion King? I was like, what is Lion? Like the Disney? They were like, yeah. The movie? No, no, this it's on Broadway. How? I just didn't get it. <laughs> Meanwhile, still doing it. You know, stat, 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 anything goes. I got that. I just didn't. I didn't understand New York and Broadway and this whole other. I didn't understand that Broadway had trickled its way down to Charlotte, North Carolina, and that's what we were doing with some old Broadway thing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't get it. Yeah, by the time the rights could be afforded, right? I didn't, understand, <laughs> I didn't understand it. <laughs> so your mom, your mom's still in Monroe. Your mom's still in uh, Indian Trail. Indian Trail, yeah. yeah. So. When you were like, Mom, I, me, me, your only son, I'm going to go, my legacy is going to be on the Broadway stage. <laughs> what, what was her reaction to that? I, I remember her being cool with it. She just didn't know exactly how to help facilitate it. You know, like, because I had started acting, like when eighth grade happened, and then <laughs> I ended up doing two TV movies as an extra. But like for me and her at that time, it was like, oh, he's going. He's going to the big time. Like we didn't, again, we didn't get it. And so my mom was like, all she saw was like, oh, my son's about to try and be a child star. And, you know, she had seen or heard all of, of the, you know, the success and then the immediate downfall of child stars. So she was like, I don't want to do that. So she kind of was trying to mm-hmm. keep it contained. And by the time I was in college, she, I at least shown a pattern of like, oh, I enjoy doing this. I show 
uh, a lot of excitement and interest when going on auditions and doing the role, you know. Um, so when I said I want to go to school for it, I don't think she knew how I would make money, but she was. In, she's always been interested in what I've been interested in. That's is, a good mom. My mom's the best mom in the world. Like she's always led from behind in that in that regard. Mm-hmm. But you know, was definitely not letting me play uh, play football or do karate or you know. She was. <laughs> I don't care if you're interested in that. You're not doing that. Um, you know what I mean? But anything she was like, okay, this seems safe and. It'll protect your brain. It'll protect your brain. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. why I couldn't play football. Yep. That's, that's exactly why, she that's why I didn't play football. Yeah. I played soccer. That was as much. Yep, as yeah. Yeah. Soccer. Yeah. But, you know, got a neck injury out of that. And it blew out my ACL, too. Oh, no. But, you know, that happens. It does. I don't think you are you can consider yourself a serious soccer player unless you blow out your ACL. Probably. It's probably it's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> I was like, mm, I'm not really trying to slide tackle you. I'm just... If I can get the ball. Oh, I tried. I was I was running, 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 fat, like sprinting. Someone was coming up behind me, and immediately I planted with my left foot sideways Oof. to try to cut back. Yep. It you know if I'm running at six o'clock, I was trying to cut back at about four o'clock. Yep. And Oof. and just I, I felt my knee get out of mm. the top of my leg, get out of line mm. on the bottom of my, my leg, mm-hmm. and it heard a pop. No. And you knew. And I was like, on the ground, numb. I was like, oh, there goes the rest of my soccer career. It's high school? Yeah, high school. Oh, so it's it's super yeah, important yeah. then. Like, you think your yeah. life is over. Yeah, it was it was devastating. Oh, man. But, I mean, speaking of that, though, you know, if I, I did a lot of rehab, I, I came back. But I, I just kind of gave it up. It was the mental game then that I wasn't prepared for. Hmm, yeah. And speaking with, with people who have had uh, vocal injuries— like Broadway, I equate to the the like the Olympics of sure. theater, right? Like you are top of your game, eight shows a week, mm-hmm. and you know we're gonna talk about Tina Turner musical, but I'm sure the singing in that is something. Sure, and you gotta be on point, on top of your game physically. Yeah, you know not only mentally for your character, but but there were there are so many people, and it was Casey Levy that started a tweet yeah. thread like it was about a month or two ago, right? About like you know let's just smash this stigma like i had injuries i've had nodes other people have come out said me too me too me yep. too and and had all these vocal injuries and then they they're go their leads on broadway still mm-hmm. and it's it have you ever been through something like that like the I'm, I'm trying to bring this back to the mental game sure um you ever had a moment where you're just like I don't, I don't think I can do this anymore. I just have to continue or like you, you hemorrhaged or you, bur- you pulled a muscle or something. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it is, we're athletes. It's perform. It's performance, literally eight times a week. Mm-hmm. And some days, you know, that warm up didn't kick in the way you needed it to, or you didn't get enough sleep the night before, or you, you ran around and did too much, or you talked on the phone too, something you did too much of or not enough of. And now you have to do that thing. And your voice is like, you know, there's certain muscle memories that you can kind of, you know, click into, but sometimes it's just not there. And you can either call out because that one thing isn't there, or you can just try to push through. And generally, we try to push through. Like, you know, you never, you've probably been at 100% once, and you've probably never been there again. <laughs> you know, you're playing hurt. Everyone's playing hurt because everyone also understands, well, if I call out, so-and-so has to go on, which means wardrobe has to do this. And, it, you know, it's a, it's a, domino effect yeah. and there's this pressure to make sure that you're there all the time so also you're in your head it's just some and by the time you get to it you've thought yourself mm-hmm. into the problem as opposed to just relaxing and just 
getting to it, but sure, like intent. There's there's a there's one spot specifically that wears me out as soon as we get to it. It's I can't stand the rain, and it just sits in a very place in my throat, <laughs> and I'm never positive it's gonna happen. It happens, but I'm never positive. And what what would happen if it didn't? It could sound it could sound horrible. I could crack. Um, I could be off pitch. Like, I mean, like what I'm saying, I guess is. The show's going to move on. You're it again. Your ego is bruised. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah, that's it's your ego. It your ego is ruined. You care about the 1,500 people who are there and you thinking they're so concerned about that one specific spot. It's like, that's as soon as it's over, like it might be like, oh, that was bad or not. But nobody remembers. Like, I'm sure I've heard plenty of people crack or have bad shows oh, yeah. and I don't remember. Yeah. Unless, yeah, I was, mean, unless I was in the show and it was real good. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's more like line flubs are more interesting to me than like, you know, vocal issues. Oh, gosh. I, well, those are fun. Those are fun. <laughs> those those, are, uh, a lot of those are fun. I though. love hearing a line flub. Knock on wood because I don't want any of my stuff. That's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. So, okay, then. Um, well, God, I got so much to ask you about later about yeah, like the, the, the validation of all this. But I want to, sure. we're still. We're still in the college years. Yes. Uh, okay, so getting to New York, finished Elon. Yep. Right? And then how old were you at this point? Graduated. I was 22. 22 when I graduated. Right. And Is that right? Or was that 21? It doesn't make sense. 21, 22. Yeah, 21, about, 22. 21 yeah. turning 22 that yeah. summer. Yeah. Um, and then I bounced around and did the regional theater thing for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Living out of a suitcase calling theaters, asking if I could audition or what the best way to audition, send in a tape, SETC. SETC, I was all, about to know, say, yeah. SETCs. You know, there would be dinner, this dinner theater, this person at this dinner theater, knew somebody at another dinner theater. I was like, hey, they're looking for an ensemble person. You free? Yeah. Schlep your stuff up to Indiana, you know, Illinois from Florida. I did it for <laughs> a year and a half. And then a, uh, one of my best friends from college his grandmother owned their brownstone here in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And he was like, I think I want to move to New York and I know you want to move too. Do you want to move with me? And I was like, I don't have any money, bro. So, no. And he was like, well, you can stay with me for free. Oh. That changes everything. Isn't it amazing how one thing that was it. changes the entire trajectory the of your thing. life? I was, going, I was going back to North Carolina. Yeah. Easily. I, was, I would go, I would do a gig, I would go back to North Carolina or I would go straight from that gig to another one. But I just knew I was going to be in North Carolina. And I wrapped my head that that November, October to November, I did a play in or musical in Wilmington, North Carolina called Pompeii the Musical. <laughs> and it was Broadway bound, like, you know, like they are. And this one a gentleman had made his Broadway debut at 45. Now, I'm 24, 23 at this point. So I just wrapped my head around and like, oh, yeah. got it. I probably won't make my debut until I'm 45. So I'll just work. You know, you, someone else had just come off of a non-equity tour. I was still non-equity. It's like, okay, get on one of these non-equity tours and, mm-hmm. you know, do the thing. You know, hit another one of these dinner theaters. You get free food. That was, that was, the, that was the plan. I know? remember that. I was, at, I was at Prather's Dinner Theater. That's right? exactly where I was. Yeah? What? Yeah, Which one? Uh, Forever Plaid. I was in, in Dutch Apple. Dutch Apple. You did Dutch Apple. Yeah. I did Broadway Palm. Yeah. Um, in Florida. Yeah, I was yeah. up in Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was in Forever Plaid there. And I went, I remember always coming in. I was like, I just got to get some of these dumplings. They're coming in for the I food. Gotta, I got to get for this, the free food. It's free. You have a full buffet of food. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that, that was the best. That was free food. Free food for actors. You're you're so surprised how far that goes. And a check. I get paid and I get free food. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm doing it. That's so funny. I'm doing it. Um, 
All right. So then a couple of years. So you were 25, 26 when you get to New York? I'm 20. 20 no, this is 20. 20 oh, a year and a half. 24. 23, 23 turning 24. Um, I turned, yeah, I turned 24. I moved in January of 06. And I turned 24 that July. Um, and I was, even when I got here, I already had three jobs set up. I had a job set up in Atlanta to do Jelly's Last Jam, which mm -hmm. changed my life. And then I did South Pacific, South Pacific at this theater in Virginia that I worked at three times before, four times before. And then, and then I was going up to the hangar in September to get my equity card doing Hello Dolly. So the color purple yep. is your de debut in 2006. Yep. So you were... Like you moved here, you said in 05. In January of 06. Oh, January of 06. Mm -hmm. And then when, how, like you just popped into Broadway. It's, it's so weird. I feel like I snuck. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like someone left the door open and I was like, hey, anybody home? Um, <laughs> hello? And they were like, hey, come and put these costumes on, get on stage. Um, that's how I felt. I, so going to, it, they're all connected. So, I had run into a friend while I was in Hello Dolly, upstate in Ithaca, came back to New York for a day, ran into a friend who I was, who I did Jelly's Last Jam with that January, right? Mm -hmm. Run to him on the street. He's with a guy, James Brown III, who's in the color purple at the time. And we're just talking, making small talk. And I'm being funny, but I'm not, but I am. And I'm like, hey, when are you leaving the show? I want your job. That guy. And he, was, he laughed. He said, well, someone is leaving. Can you tumble? And I was like, yeah, I can tumble. The guy was with Dell, who I was with, confirmed. He was like, cool, we'll just send me your information. Or I'll give it to the dance captain and we'll take it from there. I send him my information. The job finishes in, um, in Ithaca. I come back. I audition. I make the first cut. I go to a group call. I make that cut. have a vocal audition. Two days later, I get a phone call. Two days later, I'm in an audition for In the Heights, final callbacks for In the Heights. Mm -hmm. And I get cut. Andy comes over to me. He's like, hey, great job. We'll keep an eye on you. Just know, but it's just not going to work out right now. Which I was like, cool, but disappointed. I go check my phone. I have two voicemails from Telsey. And they're calling to let me know that I just booked the color purple. Jeez. It was nuts. I, it was nuts. And Andy kept his word because you went in and In the Heights. And Andy kept his word. Wow. Kept his word. Wow. Yeah. Little Mermaid was uh, right after that. So I was a vacation swing in Color Purple, in and out, ended up staying for like three months. And then I booked uh, The Little Mermaid. And then we went to Denver, out of town. Right, right. So Little Mermaid was in 08. Mm -hmm. uh, then In the Heights, like Andy kept his word. How did, would you, did you have to re-audition for that or did he actually just call you up again? I kept going in back and forth. So Little Mermaid went to Denver in 07, came in, and then that whole uh, strike happened. So we were supposed to open in, in 07 and then it got pushed to 08. Yes. Pushed to 08 and then I left Little Mermaid and went to go do Memphis out of town. For the out of town we did uh, La Jolla and mm -hmm. Seattle. Between that, I worked with Andy again doing The Wiz. Yeah, that's when we did The Wiz. Did The Wiz at City Center. And then we went started Memphis. And then while, and I had been in like a couple more times. And then towards, as Memphis was coming around to Tony season, I was tired of Memphis. I was just exhausted. <laughs> it was just, we were, we were doing so much. I was just exhausted. And 
Andy hit me up and was like, hey, you know, it's only a swing position, but would you be interested in doing heights? We have a swing position for you. And I was like, yep. Yes, I would. So my last performance of Memphis was at the Tonys. We won the Tony. I had a day off then and I started in Heights rehearsal on Tuesday. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. That that's a way to go out. Yeah, that was, that was great. That was everything. It was the it was the way to go out. It was I had done it. We had done it out of town. <laughs> you know. So what what a I mean, obviously looking back, we could say like why in the heights was so great. But at the time sure. before I mean, I guess it was it was already open, yeah. So you would you had seen it. Uh, yeah. So when I auditioned, it was still it hadn't even gone it hadn't gone off Broadway yet when I first, first auditioned time, the yeah. first time. Like so that that call I got cut was for the off Broadway production. Yeah. And I remember when I went to the first audition, first dance audition for In the Heights, there's a guy named Ricky Tripp, who's my brother now, my broski. Um, but at the time we didn't know each other. We just seen each other in, you know, in passing at BDC when BDC was still on 57th, 56th Street, 57th Street. And I get into the audition and he's teaching the combination. And I was like, you know, but it was, it was the first time theater had done for me what I think Rent had done for everybody else was I'm hearing this music that is something I grew up with, but not, you know, I never heard this in theater, you know, this is hip hop. Yeah. Oh, it's got flow to it. There's a beat to it. And then the choreography was this, you know, hip hop had like reached this new hip hop, hip hop as far as dance, street jazz and hip hop had like, formulated this new thing was a lot more uh rhythmical and i don't say percussion based but like it was nuanced people were dancing to words and beat mm-hmm. in a way that they hadn't been before and andy had picked up on that and was working with people who were who were choreographing and dancing like that so this this world was was built around that kind of movement and i was just bit that it bit me from the beginning so then Ghost the Musical, Motown the Musical, After Midnight, obviously, I mean, Hamilton, they must have remembered you from the first time. Yeah. <laughs> called, you, <laughs> called you back. Yeah. Called you back for Hamilton. Um, did, did you, I mean, Hamilton was something, of course, that changed the game again. Yeah. And you have now been a part of, you know, a couple of these game changers, right? Like, do you get, do you get kids coming up to you like stage door feedback or people writing you or whatever and you're like you were part of you're part of this show you're part of this thing that has shaped my life yeah and it's weird you know (laughs) it's weird i'll just say it it's weird kind of being the person for somebody who i I was that with somebody before you know i was coming to stage doors and being like yo dominique kelly i remember when you came when I saw you in Bring the Noise, Bring the Funk on tour, and now you're in Wicked, and I'm watching you, you know, like I'm that guy now for mm-hmm. a lot of people, which is cool. And social media kind of heightens it, you know, to a way that it wasn't when I was coming up. There was no social media, you know, so you, right. there are eyes on you that might not have been able to be on you before. But it's, you know, it's very humbling to, you know, to have someone say they know who you are in this very niche thing that we do, you know. Um, yeah, it's cool because you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know anybody was paying attention. Well, I think a lot of people want to pay attention now due to, I guess, lack of representation for like people of color on Broadway sure. right now, right? And, and you know, In the Heights was one of those things. And Hamilton, again, one of these things where you got all these shows now that are doing colorblind casting. And I still think there's not enough of it. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, yeah, similarly, you know, to, I don't want to cut you off. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Um, 
you know, Ricky Tripp, I use Ricky Tripp again, for example. When I went to go see In the Heights, I only looked at Ricky Tripp the whole show, mainly because he looked like me. Right. You know, like, you're oftentimes you're looking at a show, you're looking for yourself somewhere who, you know, either represents me or sounds like me or reminds me of me. And I couldn't, I mean, Ricky was also killing it, but I, <laughs> I could, I realized at the end of the show, like I had not taken my eyes off of Ricky Tripp the whole time. And that's when I started re- really understanding the, the un- understanding the idea of representation and what it means to be able to see yourself and what you want that to look like, you know, what that reflection looks back. It's a hard thing sometimes when you're, you, you go to a show and you're kind of stuck with, you're stuck with whatever that representation is. And that representation is believed to be, you know, the monolith for everyone who looks and sounds like you. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes it's like, I don't really like how this black person is being portrayed. And now I feel some kind of way because I feel like everyone thinks that's also me on stage. And that's not necessarily me, but this is weird. You yeah. know, and sometimes people don't come to theater because of that. You know, they don't want to have to sit with that, whatever that embarrassment might be. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, things like Heights, Hamilton, who Rent was doing it. Yeah. Um, Little Mermaid, you know, it was across the board. We had all kinds of races, creeds, colors, sizes. You know, it was King Triton was black and Ariel was white and this daughters were <laughs> all that stuff. You mm-hmm. know, it was cool. People enjoyed it. It was like, oh, this maybe this doesn't matter as much as I thought it did. You know, it was right. great. Right. It's interesting, your Instagram profile, uh, the, I, I promise you we get back to the therapy bit. And I do promise you we'll get to talk about Tina too. Gosh, Man. there's so much, so much I want to talk Let's to you about. Let's talk about uh, it all. Yeah, so one of, the, one of your favorite posts recently, it, all it said, um, it was just an image that says, my therapist is the shit. Yep. And this, this takes me back to something we were talking about earlier of like, you know, you're finding your outlet, single, uh, single mom, only child and me personally I got into performing I got into this sort of thing because I craved attention and craved validation Mm, mm -hmm. and I wonder like what is it for you what speaks like some people are like I don't need that I don't need to be on stage don't ever want my wife for example she's like nope don't ever want to be on stage (laughs) and I'm like shove me in front of a thousand people I'm cool you know like how is that for you yeah, I mean, I think there's always some sort of, hey, look at me. Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> there's some sort of, hey, look at me going on at all times. Like, I think if I go even further back to the root root, my, the story goes is that my, my aunt had a hat rack. And I used to take hats off the hat rack and pretend to be different people based on the hat that I had on. And this was like, I guess, eight or nine years old. And my mom picked up on that early on. And that's what she kind of... I think she kind of was doing this mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole time, you know, <laughs> hey, <laughs> slowly shoving me towards this arts thing, performance thing, you know, because she she saw it in me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I found in college that it wasn't what I wanted to do was also I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to express myself. And this was really the only medium that I knew that you could do that, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of music specifically, you know, but I wasn't making music. I didn't really know anything about music at that time. So this was the only place that I felt that I could like jump into a thing and then make it my own and kind of show myself doing something different. You know, I remember there was a, there was a phase of like, oh, it's pretend, you know, it's, I'm pretending to be somebody else. I don't have to be me, which says a lot. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, if you really get down to the oh, nitty gritty right, of it, right. like, I don't have to be me. I get to be somebody else, um, which I never thought about until I got a therapy, <laughs> you know? And yeah, th- but my therapist is the shit because he helped me sort through a whole lot of stuff and helped me understand like what I wanted to do in performance is is really get down to the heart of the matter. Like why why was I so attached to theater and musicals and you know what was a what was going on in there? What was happening that speaks to the human condition that I related to everybody in Mary Poppins for some whatever or another. I related to everyone in Alice in Wonderland, or at least Alice yeah. <laughs> in Alice in Wonderland. You Mary, know. Mary Poppins, I mean, the kids want their dad's approval. That's, the kids that's, want that's their the whole, dad's approval. That's the whole movie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Dad. <laughs> dad, well, yeah, dad. You know, that's that's the whole movie. And there's this, you don't know if she's imaginary, you know, you know is right. she real? Like, what happened? And again, in it, I didn't necessarily relate to Michael so much as I related, I don't know how I related to Dick Van Dyke, I guess because he <laughs> he's like this wanderer, this traveling, you know, this chimney sweep. Um, well, he was a tap dancer. He was tap dancing yeah. and I wanted to tap so bad at the time, my mom, mama wouldn't let me, you know, eventually she would. <laughs> yeah, man, it's deep, it's deep. Oh, I love, I love that stuff, yeah. I mean, do you, do you still have struggle? Do you have any sort of struggle or, or um, I guess, struggle's not the right word. I was going to say, issue or struggle god I'm, I'm trying to think of a positive word to use are but the, but our society is so backwards okay are you affected at all by the stress of being in the limelight of having to maintain your eight shows a week absolutely this is i'm like frustrated at all my friends who have been principals on broadway who didn't tell me this part who kind of like did this silently in the dark i was like yo why didn't you tell me (laughs) why didn't you tell me about all these eyeballs you know the hardest part for me was is the figuring it out in front of everybody yeah you know it's one thing to be you know in the ensemble and figuring it out with a group of people we're all figuring it out together you know um versus you know having to you know not that was the hardest part was you know, I've been, for the most part, the shows that I've been in on Broadway have, I've been a part of some part of the process somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, Color Purple, that was vacation swing, but, you know, coming in, it was already up. But for the most part, it's been, okay, I know what this is. By the time we get to opening out on Broadway, I know what this is. I got it. This, you know, or even even previews, this, I'm just like, I, I'm still figuring out what the role is. Like, what does it mean to me? Like, now, and then that, how do I want to sing this song? I don't know yet, you know. Oh, there's a new song in tonight. Huh? <laughs> and we're just going to do it. I'm going to figure this out in front of everybody? Yep. Can I practice it? Not really. There's no time. <laughs> there's no time. No time. You know? No, just... That was something Alex Timbers told me, that, that previews are some of his most favorite moments of bringing a show to life because... Most often, that show will perf- be performed once and never again. And never again. It'll never be heard from again. Yeah. And in, in that uh, incarnation. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's exactly what happens because, you know, there's constantly a, a, a creative who's like, I don't like the way that moves. Go this way now. Or, you know, this sounds funny. Change it to this. Or the director's like, I want to cut these words. And the writer's like, okay. You, you know, and then you get new pages. And it's just, it's, you're... Pre- and, and of course, that's when all your friends want to come. Your friends want to come during previews. They don't want to wait till you're in it for three months. And like, okay, now I got it. Like, oh, I like watching the process. 
forget you. <laughs> um, you know, that was, but that has been that has been the most daunting part is the upfront figuring it out in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying not to judge it, you know, care about it without judging it. Yeah. Who told me who said that to me the other day? That's terrible. I should remember. Well, so this is now your your ninth Broadway credit. Yeah. You've had eight other Broadway credits now, first principal role. Yeah. Like, what is this, what does this feel like? Aside from the oh crap, I'm figuring out in front of everybody. <laughs> Like, how else is this new for you, like, emotionally? Man, I try not to cry every day just because <laughs> it's exhausting, <laughs> you know. But it's, it's oh, um, a friend from Elon uh, came to the show, and she brought a T-shirt. She brought an Elon T-shirt. Mm-hmm. And, like, after she left, like, I looked in the mirror, and I held it up, and I just got misty because I just remembered being this kid who just, I remember the day I got to Elon, and I knew nothing. You know, I knew nothing. And let's fast forward to senior year. It's like, what do you want to do? What's your 10-year plan? It's like, I want to move to New York and then be able to like bounce back and forth between New York and LA, you know, over 10 years. And, you know, fast forward to moving to New York and figuring it out. And then essentially like going to LA for a little while and coming back and doing TV. And still, you know, I had actually said out loud, I'll never be a principal on Broadway. I'd said it out loud. I've said it several times. I'll never be a principal on Broadway because I just didn't believe it would happen. I know... I, there was something that I've believed about myself as far as, you know, what my ministry is and what I'm used to seeing leading men be, you know, I'm used to the Brandon Victor Dixons and mm-hmm. the Josh Henry's. And, you know, I was like, I don't do that. That's, I don't do that. <laughs> that is not me. Yeah. Even like um, Norm Lewis. That's Norm what, yeah, Lewis. Yeah. Like, I don't do that. Sure. Maybe with some work and some, I, but that's just not even where I've been putting my work into, like, to be like that. Um, and it's because I'm just I'm just different, you know. Yeah. So I just wrap my head around that very idea. The same way I wrap my head around, I will not be. I'll make my Broadway debut at 45 <laughs> at the earliest, you know. And the universe is always like, <laughs> you know, I'll show you. And it, so it's just it's very overwhelming, and I'm just thankful. I'm th- I'm thankful and terrified all at the same time, and which also feels right with the role, you know. And we'll get into that. But Ike Turner seemed like a very confident person at times and then a very incredibly insecure person at times. And I think he was always trying to (laughs) figure out which one to be at the right time. And sometimes he failed miserably and other times he succeeded, you know, exceedingly well. So it's something about this feeling, this vulnerability that's like, oh, this this is how I'm supposed to be. I'm not really supposed to be super comfortable playing Ike Turner. Because then it will probably be false. It trans, yeah. Your your real life translates into into the character. Yep. Yeah. Because well, I, I, gosh, he met what in nineteen fifty eight. Yeah, met Anna Mae Bullock. Anna Mae Bullock, who is Tina Turner. That's her real name, and created Tina Turner, created her stage persona. Um, and as you know, spoiler alert: as we all know, he died in two thousand seven. Drug overdose. Of a cocaine overdose, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the musical, like, th- th- this is going to deal with some dark subjects. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But obviously the music's good, and obviously yeah. they had some good times together, but there are some very well-known bad times, domestic abuse. There's a lot of yeah. stuff back there. I mean, it, did did the producing team, did the creative team, did, did you sit down with them and, and like, kind of work through all this stuff to figure out, like, the best way to kind of present it? 
Yes and no. Well, the thing is, like, they already had, there's two productions before us, you know, so they'd already done all that work yeah. with, um, with the London production and then the German production. Mm-hmm. And there's another one in the works, you know, for Holland. So we're, it's kind of like a thing that they've already done before. Um, what I do believe they've done a good job of, pat myself on the back, is, you know, choose people who are interested in the story behind the story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, <laughs> when I got the, when I got the audition breakdown, you know, and the call, you know, hey, you want to go in for Ike Turner? I was like, what? <laughs> um, I was like, they don't want me to be, you know, Ike Turner. And then, you know, I read the breakdown and then I did a quick little Google search, you know, because I hadn't thought about Ike Turner in, since the first time I saw What's Love Got to Do With it, and every once in a while when it pops up on TV, you know, but I don't really, Ike Turner wasn't ever really in my brain space. And, I did a little bit of research. I read, I read the the sides, you know, and one of it talked about um, one of the sides was about him, his father being beaten almost to death for talking to a white woman. Oh, I didn't and know then that. two years later, he dies of those injuries. Um, he was in an infirmary tent um, because they tried. They took him to the white hospital. The closest hospital was a white hospital. Um, and they wouldn't take him. Mm-hmm. So they just built a tent in the front yard and he just slowly. Jesus. You know, slowly died away. So like I was like, okay. And then I did some more research and found out that he might he had been molested by this woman on his way to school every day. He would go feed her chickens and then she would call him into the house and she would, you know, have her way with him and then send him on to school. So I was like, Oh, I know this guy. <laughs> oh, I know this guy. You know, so then I got his autobiography, um, read the autobiography. And he, you know, before, there's a whole life of Ike Turner before he met Anime Bullock. You know, he had been married two or three times before. One of the wives was taken from him by her parents and put in the same asylum. He never saw her again. He created the song uh, Rocket 88, which people believe to be the first rock and roll record. He never got credit for it. Elvis used to come in to this club that he performed at all the time and like kick it and hang out. Next thing he knows, Elvis is like, (laughs) shout off and become... You know, but he and he was never allowed to even have the career that Elvis had, you know, grew up in the Confederate South. All these people left him. All these people used him before he met Anime Bullock. So he meets Anime Bullock, little Ann, you know, they're going to perform together. Lil Ann gets pregnant by Raymond, one of his uh, musicians. Now, this is where the story gets tricky because th- this is how Ike tells the story. Ike tells a story that Raymond ran off and he was worried that Raymond was going to come back and take Anna Mae with him with the baby. Mm-hmm. So, so he wasn't beholden to the little Ann name. He changed it to Tina so that in the event Anna Mae Bullock ran off, he could just get another Tina and plug it into that slot. Oh, he created a character. He created a character. Yeah. Same with the Ikeettes. He was like, these would be the Ikeettes. Y'all can come and go if you want to, but if you want to perform this music or you want to do this stuff, like, I don't want what happened to me on Rocket 88 to happen again. So that's what he did. Turns out Anime Bullock stuck with him for 16 years. So when she, when she finally left, the only thing she wanted was that name because yeah. she had put all that work into it. She had made the name what the name is. Ike hadn't had, didn't have a backup plan. He had put everything into Ike and Tina Turner. So... There's no Ike Turner. Yeah. You know, wow. You know, and when you know this, 
Because <laughs> he also knows this the whole time. He knows he's technically nothing. He believes he's technically nothing without Tina Turner. So he's going to fight to keep her there. He's going to fight to L- keep her literally there. Fight. Literally fight. Because I think Ike never grew up much past the little boy who lost his father. Yeah. The little boy who's in first grade with Miss Boozy. The little boy who you know, lost his first wife. I think he was like 18. You know, the little boy, he was 19 when he, when the uh, Rocket 88 got taken away. You know, I don't think he grew up past that. And violence is, I think people use violence when they've run out of vocabulary. It's a control mechanism. It's a control mechanism. It exerts power. He'd never been able to exert power before. He couldn't save his father. He couldn't stop him, stop Ms. Boozy. He couldn't keep those women from leaving him. He couldn't stop Rocket 88. <sighs> Now he had, and I, you know, like I said, I went to therapy. So <laughs> when I read all of this, I was like, oh, I know exactly who this is. I know what all this stuff is. I got, okay, here we go. Ike Turner. Let's, let's talk about it. Wow. Like, oh God, like he didn't want to do it. He just had to do he it. He had to. He didn't want to. And that's oh. the, you know, it's the thing. Ike Turner is. I don't want to say he's no different than anybody else, but he's no different than anybody else who didn't have the tools to work through his shit. Yeah. And, you know, we've, and rightly so, we've villainized him in a way that we can't erase the narrative that he's just this brutal person, but no one's really ever, it's always like, Ike Turner was violent. Ike Turner was violent. Ike Turner was violent. Why was he violent? No one ever just, just take one more step. Why was he violent? Because there's a whole other story there. A lot, and it's actually a more interesting story to me personally that also makes him and Tina's dynamic more interesting. Right. Like, I don't think Tina just stuck around and was just beat up all the time. I think there were two people who Tina's, Tina's father left. Tina's mother never really loved her or at least showed her any love. Well, yeah. You know, the she, only man she loved ran off on her. Ike was there. Ike stayed. Ike was interested. Ike showed her a way to become a star. Like, it was. That's what I was going to say. I mean, knowing, knowing what kind of guy he is, like part of that must have been attractive, had to have been attractive to her. Like she needed that to, for her coping mechanism. Something, something. Something. How much? I don't know if we'll ever know. But something is in there. This is all fascinating. And I, just the history lesson you've given me right here. Sure. I mean, I can't wait to see the show. Like I'm sure the show is, of course, is what? Almost three hours, two and a half hours, something like that? 240. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, just history, history, history. And then the songs, of course, yeah. are incredible. Yeah. But, well, I mean, it's Tina's show. It's about Tina. Right. This right. <laughs> is not about Ike. It's, you know, that information, I have that information. Yeah. You know, and there's a little bit of it here and there. But for the most part, this is... But still, just knowing knowing all these backstories, and there's got to be, I mean, I assume, I haven't seen it yet, but it's got to be some some... I guess, nod to the relationship. Obviously, the relationship to them. Yes. I mean, because he made her career. Yeah. Yeah. That's, oh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to see this show. Um, So, I've got a Patreon account, and so my patrons can throw throw some questions your way. So, um, one of them wants me to ask you to talk me through the things that each of these mean on your Instagram profile. Okay. Your your Instagram bio. The first one is WME. Oh, William Morris Endeavor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, CESD. Uh, my agents, CESD. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. So anonymous content. Is my management company. Oh, okay. This is my manager. Okay. Storyteller. <laughs> Storyteller, that's me. And what kind of, what stories do you tell? All stories. Um, 
I've, it's interesting. I've, I've used to be very, very uh, observatory, observational. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait people, a minute. People stand inside you and look at the stars. That's exactly what happens. I will make up a meaningful word. <laughs> I've, used, I've been very, I am still very observational, but I've, I've, and I used to tell stories of outside, but you know, but to go further, I'm working on a piece about Pele, the first, you know, the first soccer player to win mm-hmm. three national champions, oh, the only soccer player to win three national championships. His rags to riches story, he grew up with no shoes and became like, you know, yeah. no shoes to endorsement, shoe endorsement deals. You yeah. know, he went bankrupt twice. He, you know, was offered a million dollars to play in Europe, turned it down because he only wanted to play in Brazil. But also, Brazil made him a non-exportable national treasure when he was 21, which meant he couldn't play anywhere else. Like, what do you mean? You can make a person non-exportable? Brazil could at that time. Made him, they deemed him the president before he left because he was getting ousted anyway, made Pele a non-exportable national treasure. And it's very interesting because Brazil is the last country in the West that abolished slavery. Huh. And the and the the I'll say interesting the um the the emperor because their emperorship uh, the emperor at that time this is sixty in sixty three sixty five sixty five uh, the civil war ended he was like hey yo Confederate cats we still got slavery down here you want to come on down here and like help us get this cotton together glad to have you so a lot of Confederate soldiers migrated to Brazil. And there's still places they like they have Confederate flags and they they have like a full on celebration, you know, their Confederate American heritage. Like it's a it's a thing, but you know, Pele grew out of that. Like it's 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 crazy, crazy True story. Rags to crazy story. Okay, whistleblower so, is the next one. Yes, uh, whistleblower is uh, yeah. I like to I like to blow the whistle on on, on bullshit. Can I curse on you? Oh yeah, no, bullshit. <laughs> um, I'm whistleblower. You know, it's it's we don't have time anymore you know and i don't have time to be silent i think you know i have a poem about you know no more called no more silences we often take moments of silence after something's happened and it's all well and good i think you know to pay respect but i also think we've just been silent too many times like no more silences let's let's talk about it blow the whistle what are we gonna do uh love terrorists love terrorists i am a terrorist of love um (laughs) that's another poem i wrote um about you know a world that terrorizes with love that, you know, uh, it goes beyond just, you know, random hugs, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's meeting people with love first, you know, just being gracious, open, positive, you know, but just terrorizing the world with that because what good is all this hate getting us? Yeah. What good is it? We're what moving, what we're good is backwards. it doing? We're moving back. The last two, tree climber and mama's boy. Tree climber, man. I'm so country. That's just the country in me. That's I'm a, right. I'm a tree climber. If I I have to remind myself not to go barefoot in New York City. That's, just, <laughs> oh, that's disgusting. Disgusting. You know, and I don't do it. But it's just like that's how I grew up. I grew up running around barefoot climbing trees and stuff. Man, man. Mama's boy is self-explanatory. Yep, yeah. I know that one now. Um and uh, I just want to touch real quick on Daniel J. Watts' The Jam. Yo, come on with it. Yeah, what's that? Daniel Tell me J. About Watts' that. The Jam. The Jam is based on my great-grandmother who used to make jam. Mm-hmm. You know, she'd make it from scratch. You can't make it a jar at a time. You have to make it in bulk. So she would make herself a jar and she'd give the rest away. So me, I've been writing stuff 
since I was like, since I can remember, but like 12, 13, I really like got heavy into, if I was feeling some kind of way or if I want to express myself, I would just write it down, you know, in a journal. And over time, over the years, notebooks full of stuff, laptop full of stuff, phone full of stuff. And I was like, I got all this stuff and I'm not doing anything with it. And um, so I decided to get a band together. Um, and I was like, oh, maybe I can read a poem and somebody could dance to that or this would be good, like set to some music or, you know, and we'll just jam. You know, I was like, oh, you know, and I put the two together. It's also Jelly's Last Jam. Mm-hmm. There's a line in Jelly's Last Jam, which is we're jamming with Jelly tonight. And I had never really thought about the play on words of that until I was like, oh, jam- Jelly World Morton, we're jamming with, and I was like, what's the difference between jam and jelly? Jam has all the, like the fruit and the pulp and the seeds and the stuff in it. Mm-hmm. You know, jelly doesn't have that. It's just the runoff. Yeah. So I was like, if I'm gonna be one, if I'm gonna be either of these, I'm gonna be jam. So you know, if it gets sticky, let it stick with you. That's the like, that's like one of the mottos. And it's like I, I do storytelling, I do spoken word, you know. But the most recent jam is called Only Child, and it's based on me going to therapy and realizing, you know, or I, my analogy is that going to therapy is like inviting a stranger to the attic of your mind. Yeah. And you probably haven't been up there in a while. <laughs> and you don't really want them to see everything. So you kind of like pretend the lights don't work and you like focus on a very specific area. And you're like, hey, I'm looking for this Bob Marley record right here. And you realize like, if you're serious about therapy, you have to turn the lights on. And when you find that Bob Marley record, it won't matter because you have this whole attic of stuff you got to clean up. Um, so, and I realized in therapy that being an only child and a latchkey kid in a single parent home kind of like created a person. And I had to learn, I had to go through that box and like figure out who that person is and like learn how to let some of this stuff go. I wish more people would do that. Man, uh, that's it. Really? Like, yeah. that's why I think we have so much hate. Because exactly. we're, we're all just trying to control ourselves, control others. Boom. We don't love ourselves. No, you know. No. It's the, the golden rule is like, love your neighbor like you love yourself. But like, if you don't love yourself, then you're going to yeah. love your neighbor the same way. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you got to get back to the show here. Ugh. So there's three standard closing questions that I ask everybody Hit on this me. podcast. First Hit one, me. very simply, what motivates you? Oh, what motivates me? Um, oh, wow. Uh, just, to, just to get up and be the best person I can be today, better than yesterday. And what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Oh man, keep dream as big as possible. Dream just because it's free. <laughs> it's free. it's the only thing that's free. Like just dream and and think and write it down. No, just dream, but write it down because that's where like mm-hmm. the magic is. The spells are in the spelling. Write it down. All right. So last question: If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? A stage. Anything you want. Film, anything you want. One for the rest of my life. Uh huh. Oh man, that's good. Everything's going through my brain right now. Everything. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's that's a horrible question. (laughs) I don't know. Am I supposed to know what is yours? Do you have one? No, I can't answer my own question. But oh, that's terrible. Maybe maybe singing in the rain because it's so nostalgic for me. Tap. There you go. Good job. You got me. Tap the movie. Tap. There you go. Whew. All right. We can find you on Instagram and Twitter at dwattswords and facebook.com slash wattswords and wattswords.com. And of course, tinaonbroadway.com. Get your tickets, Come people. on. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com 
or thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon to show your support. Get your questions in here for my next guests. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast or facebook.com slash official theater podcast. This is edited by Matthew Hendershot, part of the Broadway Podcast Network. And thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. And Daniel J. Watts, thank you for being my guest today. This has been such a great conversation. Thanks for having me, bro. Make the world a little colorful. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.